Maine's Political Pulse is made possible by listeners and by Lee Auto Malls, featuring all electric vehicles from Nissan and Toyota in stock now. Learn more at leeauto.com electric. Welcome to Maine's Political Pulse. I'm Steve Missler, Maine Public's chief political correspondent. This week, the Pulse joined Maine calling for its Month in Review program. And what you're about to hear is a lightly edited version of that discussion with host Jennifer Rooks, politics correspondent Kevin Miller, and myself. Steve, I'll start with you. The pace of the legislature seems to be picking up and lawmakers are beginning to tackle controversial issues. One addressing a major concern of parents, which is school safety. What's being proposed and is anything likely to change? Well, Jen, you're right that school safety and in particular school shootings are a major concern for parents here and across the country. Unfortunately, like many things, there's a partisan divide over what the solution ought to be. And because of that, I think the answer to the second part of your question, is anything likely to change, is probably no. So there are proposals in the legislature that can be classified as gun control, things like expanding background checks for gun sales. The issue is that those proposals never really gain traction here because Maine tends to go in the opposite direction when it comes to gun rights, meaning fewer restrictions. And while there are Democrats who support gun control, there are also some who won't actually vote for it because they're anxious about the backlash from gun rights groups and and voters. And on the other side, you have quite literally the opposite approach from Republicans who generally believe the solution to gun violence is arming more people, the the so-called good guys. And that philosophy is at the heart of a suite of proposals that had public hearings this week. Each of them would repeal Maine's prohibition on guns on or near school grounds so that teachers or school staff could carry weapons. Another would allow uh, people with concealed carry permits to bring their gun on school property. And then there's another that would let school districts basically hire private security firms and 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 harden what Republicans and some Republicans uh, describe as uh, soft targets, uh, these gun-free zones that are basically main school grounds. Now, those proposals probably won't go anywhere in a Democratic-controlled legislature. There's just too much opposition from educators, school officials, parents, students, you name it. Um, at the same time, though, the dynamics of gun politics suggest that we probably won't see a tightening of gun access either. Kevin, we get keep getting more and more bad news about the scope and impact of PFAS contamination in Maine. The Maine CDC just yesterday added even more bodies of water to its advisory list, recommending that people not eat fish from those lakes, ponds, and streams because of PFAS contamination. What is the legislature considering regarding PFAS this session, and is whatever they're considering likely to pass? Yeah, that's right, Jen. Uh, PFAS is definitely an emerging um, problem that's really starting to impact people kind of beyond those who are unfortunate enough to have it show up in their, in their drinking water wells. And um, the fish advisory that you mentioned is a good example of that. Uh, so the, uh, the main CDC has uh, previously advised fishermen to, to limit their consumption of fish from a few spots to, to basically avoid them altogether in a pond and a brook around uh, Fairfield, um, which is where we've seen some of the highest uh, PFAS levels. Um, but this week they added a section of the Kennebec River um, to that list. And as far as the legislature, um, there's a lot of activity around PFAS again this session. Um, there are bills that would 
that would tighten even more Maine's already stringent drinking water standards uh, for these these kind of uh, forever chemicals. But lawmakers are, are also considering bills to offer additional assistance to farmers whose land is contaminated. And um, then just this week, we saw uh, kind of hours of testimony on bills that would change this law that requires companies to report whenever they make products that contain PFAS. This this law is only about two years old, and the law would actually also ban the sale of products with PFAS in it starting in 2030. But there's a lot of concern among the business community about whether this is a realistic expectation. Some say that's impossible to meet, and the requirement was actually supposed to go into effect starting in January. So there's a bipartisan support for kind of rolling back the deadline for when these PFAS laws would, would take effect. But it's unclear how much they're going to kind of deference they're going to give to the business community on there. Mm. Steve, there are still several important issues to come before the legislature, including the controversial issue of expanding abortion rights in Maine. Where does that stand? Well, Jen, Monday, I think, is going to be a pretty big day in the legislature, and that's because the Judiciary Committee will hold a public hearing on a proposal from Governor Janet Mills and backed by Democratic legislative leaders that would allow abortions later in a pregnancy if a doctor deems it medically necessary. Uh, this will probably kick off one of the most contentious abortion fights in Maine in years. Uh, on the abortion rights side, they're claiming a mandate from voters to expand abortion access. And that belief stems from the backlash to the Supreme Court decision last year that eliminated abortion protections and left them in the hands of state legislatures and governors. And you can make a pretty compelling case that abortion helped save Democrats during last year's midterms by mobilizing a very important voting constituency, women, and not just Democratic women. But abortion opponents seem to be sensing a, a mobilizing opportunity of their own in this proposal, which is a departure from the governor's stance on abortion during the campaign last year. Back then, she said Maine's existing protections were likely enough and that she wouldn't seek to expand them. But that's what this proposal does. And abortion opponents believe that they can make the case that it goes too, too far, even for those who support ab abortion rights in some, in some way. Now, look, Democrats appear to have the votes to pass this bill on their own. Uh, so the outcome may be a foregone conclusion. It's really the political fallout that's the unknown here. And we'll really have to wait and assess that later if this uh, proposal actually becomes law. Another big and, and growing issue, the affordable housing crisis in Maine. Kevin, is the legislature po poised to do anything more about expanding affordable housing during this session? Yeah, well, we definitely knew this was going to be a top issue, this legislative session. And there are, again, there are a lot of bills in the hopper, so to speak, to deal with it. But most of those really haven't been acted on yet. Uh, the House Speaker and the, and the Senate President, they created a special housing committee this year that will review these bills. And the expectation is that this committee will come up with um, some major policy recommendations before the session, this legislative session closes out in June. But like I said, there there are a lot of proposals out there. They're still working through them. Um, earlier this month, there was a there was a hearing on one proposal that would set aside an additional two hundred million dollars for the Maine State Housing Authority um, to build or subsidize new housing over the next two years. Uh, there are 
there are proposals out there to repurpose vacant shopping malls for affordable housing, which I think is an interesting one. I don't think we've had a, a hearing on that. And then there are lots of proposals for, for further tweaking zoning and subdivision laws. Um, but like I said, this, this is an issue that we're probably going to see really start to heat up over the next couple of weeks as they get closer to the end of the session. Um, but as you and, and so many of the listeners know, I mean, this is such a big issue here in the state. You know, I was, I was struck looking at a, a Portland Press Herald article from the other day that said that Avesta, which I think is one of the biggest um, providers of affordable housing in the state, that they were only able to provide something like 4% of housing to 4% of these thousands of applicants that they had last year. And that just kind of goes to, to how serious of an issue this is. Mm. Steve, bring us up to speed on the story, uh, the unfolding story about Maine Attorney General Aaron Fry. After he announced publicly that he was involved in a romantic relationship with an employee of his office, legislative leaders announced an inquiry of some sort. First of all, how significant is it that the Attorney General engaged in this relationship? And is the inquiry serious or, or just political cover? Well, I'll take your first question first, Jen, and, and that is how significant is this controversy? And I would say that the fact that the attorney general had a relationship with a coworker isn't really the sticking point here. It's really that he waited to disclose it for eight months while con he continued to supervise this person. And that's significant because in other workplace contexts, that delay would have been a violation of rules that are designed to protect workers. That includes most of state government, by the way which mandates that supervisors report workplace relationships with subordinates so that the employee can be reassigned to another supervisor. Uh, those rules are designed to protect the workplace from feelings of favoritism. And it's also meant to protect the supervised employee from feeling pressure to continue a relationship with their boss. Now, the AG's office doesn't have that specific rule, but that may soon change because of this. The other issue here is, is just about accountability. Remember, the attorney general is the top law official in the state. And in Maine, the AG is effectively hired by the legislature. And that's how uh, Attorney General Fry, a former Democratic legislator, ascended to this position. He was elected and then reelected by Democratic-controlled legislatures. And that's put pressure on Democratic leaders to conduct this review, which is being done by a private HR firm in Portland. Now, there's still a lot of questions about the scope of this review, which actually began this week. Uh, Democrats have been vague about it. And, and even the contract, which we obtained this week via a public records request, doesn't contain a lot of information about how it will be conducted, who will be interviewed, and et cetera. So I think we'll have to wait and see what this firm finds when it releases its report. And that could happen sometime in May, potentially in the middle of the month or possibly later. Kevin, a new poll gauges, among other things, Governor Mills' current approval rating. Tell us about that survey and what we learned from it. So this this poll was actually con conducted by the University of New Hampshire Survey Center, which is a, a pretty active polling organization here in the state. And uh, when it comes to Governor Mills, it actually showed that 60% of the respondents approved of her, her job performance uh, so far in her second term. And that just, uh, I think it was 37% disapproved now, if we compare that to President Biden, he was underwater with a 53% disapproval rating among the main respondents. Um, you know, I guess not surprisingly, the responses to Mills pretty much largely followed party affiliation. Like it was kind of shocking that 98% of Democrats said that 
they thought she was doing a good job. Um, um, and then only 26% of Republicans did. But, you know, still, I almost think that in this kind of hyper polarized uh, world that we live in, the folks who in Mill's office who have to pay attention to the polls, they may not think 26% is that bad among Republicans. Um, you know, but I thought some of the more interesting findings from the poll, and Steve might have more to say about this, is what Maynard's attitudes were towards social media and kind of the big guys who run these platforms. Maine residents really didn't, they really don't like uh, Facebook's Mark Zuckerberg or Jeff Bezos with Amazon. And then I guess somewhat surprisingly, Elon Musk didn't do as poorly as those two, despite all the things that we're seeing in the news about Elon Musk, although he was he was still pretty unpopular. One other thing that jumped out at us is, uh, as, as far as the social media platform TikTok, which is in the news so much, about six out of 10 respondents thought that it did pose a major national security threat, but only a narrow plurality, not even a majority, the respondents thought it should be banned. So, mm. Steve, anything to add to that? Well, I mean, it is interesting. I mean, the fact that uh, Mainers have such a dim view of these tech CEOs, they, you know, every single one of them, with the exception of Tim Cook from Apple, had uh, negative approval, like way down. Like Mike, Mark Zuckerberg was, I think, negative 70 something in approval, and he was led the list and being un viewed unfavorably. Uh, Tim Cook seems to be benefiting from just being very obscure because a lot of people just didn't know enough about him to have an opinion of him. And it is interesting just because th these tech CEOs have been in the news so much recently. And right now, Elon Musk is kind of in the barrel because of his whimsical and chaotic uh, management of Twitter. But Zuckerberg is still, still deeply unpopular. And I think you can trace that all the way back to the 2016 election and, and, and Facebook and, you know, the stuff that it, it allowed on it and, and sometimes amplified on its platform. Yeah. Still though, so many Mainers active on Facebook, it seems as though they're maybe telling a pollster this, but um, they still use the platform. Yeah. We, we, I guess we love to hate social media, I guess, or something. I don't know, but it is interesting just to, the fact that we continue to use these platforms, even though we don't really hold the people who run them in high regard. And on the TikTok issue, there's still a conversation happening at the state house about whether uh, the platform should be banned for all state employees. Um, earlier this year, the Mills administration said that executive branch employees can't use it on any state issued laptops or any any you know cell phones that are connected to the state system. But this bill would actually expand that to the legislature as well as the judicial branch. You know, there's no talk at the state level of banning TikTok for main users. I don't think that would be constitutional at, least at this point um, for the state to do. But I think it's it's interesting, and I'm not sure where that that TikTok bill is going. Um, they they tabled it yesterday, so we won't know for until next week. But you know, it's it, like Steve said, it's interesting how even when people seem we all seem to embrace social media and use it, even though we acknowledge, we all say that we don't like it. And that's Maine's Political Pulse for this week. A reminder that you can subscribe to The Pulse wherever you get your podcasts. You can also sign up for our weekly newsletter, which can be delivered straight to your email every Friday morning. You could do that at mainepublic.org slash pulse. I'm Steve Missler. We'll talk to you again next week. <laughs>